Okay, so this is the Almost Good Podcast, the number one official fan Slipknot podcast. I'm thinking about rebranding. Both fans. Well, Both. there's more than there's at least ten because they have they have eight people on stage, right? Yeah, there's that meme. Uh, I, I'm sure you saw it about how new metal rules and uh, the first. It's the God Brain meme. The God Brain meme. So it's the small brain, and it's like I like it because the clown hits the can. Uh, <laughs> But like, really, I was listening to Slipknot the other day. I really like it when that clown hits that can, dude. <laughs> it's got a great. I mean, it's think about it. It's it's cowbell times times ten, right? Yeah, that's just, a good. He's that's a good bong. Fucking, he's hitting their fucking hitting a trash can. And I was wondering about how they do the royalty split for a Slipknot show. Is the the clown guy can't be making as much as the, like the singer or the guitar player? No, he's a, he's the first on your mind. So. That's got to be, he's got to be paid proportionately. People, re- I don't remember anybody else. Name three other cl- uh, Slipknot faces. Uh, there's the uh, there's the uh, the long dick nose thing. That's the I think he's also a noisemaker. There's the uh, head with a bunch of spikes coming out. There's the there's the guy with the garbage can head playing a kazoo. Right. There's the guy with the horse head playing a triangle. <laughs> there's it's. Whoever's not playing a traditional instrument is is getting paid a ton because people remember him. Do you think that anybody who's like a super slipknot head, if they switched out the clown, they'd be like, it's just, it's just not the same. <laughs> <laughs> or if the the clowns just starts using a slide whistle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about today, Dave? Oh Jesus! I don't know. Um, we're gonna kind of do a video on demand extravaganza, right? We're gonna talk uh, Wheelman. Uh, the ritual and um, a third one. What the fuck was it? Small crimes. Small crimes. Yeah. So small movies. Yeah. I guess is the, is the key. Any um, any particular one you want to start out with? Um. Well, did you get a chance to watch Wheelman? Um. Well, this is just a little tidbit for the audience, but I ran out of time to watch it, and Dave texted me and said, just watch the first 15 <laughs> minutes, you'll get the idea. And, you know, it's interesting because I did watch the first 15 minutes. I got up to the part where the two toughs get into the car, and the um, wheelman's all like, don't touch my fucking sandwich. And, like, <laughs> and this guy's he's trying to do that. I feel like Tarantino, in a way kind of really fucked up dialogue because this guy gets in the car he's like yeah my girlfriend thinks i can't rock a mohawk but i did it and now (laughs) and he like makes this thrusting motion to indicate that he's having more sex than he normally does and um yeah i mean your text was pretty accurate dude i mean i feel kind of bad uh talking about it considering i've only seen the first 15 minutes but i kind of thought to myself i get it i get what this is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I then I I'm excited that you did something that I asked you to do via text. I don't think that's ever happened to me before, so the, I'm excited about that. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm also really disturbed by the, these like a fake tough guy that's uh, is conspicuously tough. Like, did you get an idea? This was this guy's name Grillo or Grizzo? What's this fucking yeah, Frank Frank Grillo? And you know, I heard this guy on a podcast, uh, and he's a super motivated dude, and I think that he's probably got his heart in the right place and again i'm talking about the first 15 minutes of this movie but i i feel like he has this really interesting kind of twitchiness to himself uh to to the way that he moves in this but he keeps doing this thing where he's like 
glancing in his rearview mirror and it set my OCD off because he's driving and he keeps, <laughs> he keeps doing this like nervous glance back, but not nervous, but like tough guy. Like, am I going to have to fuck this guy up? Like look back and I'm, and the camera just stays on him for a really long time. And I, it kind of flows nicely into uh, this other, uh, you know, I love process shots. I love process shots. This movie uh, uh, in the first 15 minutes does process shots all wrong. So there's a there's a camera in the back of the car and it pulls out of a driveway. First of all, it's in a garage. And when the guy comes to sort of like it's in a garage, the garage is dark, you hear sirens in the distance. Very uh, you know, it's creating that mise-en-scene, mise-en-scene. Right. Um and then <laughs> right. the guy comes in, flicks the light on. Where do they get these blinking ass halogen lights for these movies? Cuz it just doesn't happen normally for me. I mean, I've worked in places with halogen lights, you flip the switch and it just turns on, but it's always that blink blink blink. Um right. and then he gets in the car, he opens the garage, he comes out, he pulls the car out, and it's just this sort of nothing street with like some graffiti on it. And the scene takes, I swear to God, five minutes for him to pull the car out, go talk to the wheelman. The wheelman says, hey, that's a red trunk. I didn't want a fucking red trunk. I wanted a conspicuous car. And he's like, hey, what do you want me to do? I'm from New York. Yeah, or whatever the fuck. And then he gets into the car and like is like adjusting the seat. I'm like, this is processed done all wrong. Like you don't, <laughs> I don't care if he's adjusting a seat in the car. And you can't see anything either. You could just, the the window makes this little pinpoint at the center of the screen and you can't really see anything that's going on there's there was no reason for it i think is my point i i i don't totally disagree with you i i kind of wish the whole movie was like what you're describing because then i would settle into it Mm -hmm. um but i think the one of the biggest mistakes it makes is that it changes that that angle and it becomes just another movie it's got angles outside the car it shows the action happening all around the car and the camera, if the camera was to be restrained in the way that you described for the whole duration of the movie, I think that I would have had a um, a better time with it just because I would have kind of been beaten into submission by that lack of information. Mm-hmm. I can see why it's when it starts off, it's if you're waiting for a movie to get going, maybe the, the, the process shot that you describe to do it right off the bat is, is an unearned moment. So you, right. you were like, I'm not ready for this to have to spend all this time with this guy. But if maybe, um, maybe that's why it threw you so much, but like with lock, you've seen lock, Tom Hardy's lock where it's in a car the whole time. Yeah. I loved lock. Lock is amazing. And that has even less of a, of a like visual dynamics to it. It's not just one, it's one shot of this dude, the entire time in the car and uh, he, he holds court where our attention is never, never wanes. Right. So, so what goes wrong here? I think, I don't, I really don't think it's, it's the ambition of, of that opening. I think that they didn't have enough confidence to keep us with very little information. I think if the guy wouldn't have been such a conspicuous, tough guy, acting guy, that you wouldn't have been so frustrated with him or like, you know, or, or I th- frustrated with, with the seat shit, you know? Yeah. I think also whenever it does start, when the guy says, what's your name? And he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you my name. It's like, <laughs> just give him a fake name. Why are we doing this? Like, why, why are we being, and when he's like, Hey, what's that? And he tries to grab his sandwich. Like, just, I don't know. I, I guess I wouldn't let somebody grab my sandwich either, but you know, it doesn't, everything doesn't have to be like the puffing out the chest. And then it's like, all right, let's make up nicknames. Your wheel, man, dun, 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 dun. you know, <laughs> and I'm motherfucker. And I was like, who, how did that line get through so many people? 
you know? I know. And it's, I think you just pointed out something. I hadn't put my, my thumb on it until just now is that Walter Hill has, of course, the movie, the driver, which is like the quintessential getaway driver movie. And in that movie there, nobody has any names. There's the driver and there's the cop. And, um, it's, it's like not talked about. And, you know, you, you only get that information in the credits when it says the driver played by Ryan O'Neill. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like this movie wanted to do that, but it, it's like so excited about it. It can't shut the fuck up. So it has to say, guess what? We're not having names or I'm the wheel man. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it has to overtly try to achieve what Walter Hill's no name movie did, you know, effortlessly or what the, uh, Leone Westerns did with the man with no name. Like, they don't say I'm the man with no name. You know what I mean? Right. Like you don't you don't say, hey, we don't have names. I mean, I guess you can we can always blame Tarantino, who did it better and did it first. When they go around and name each other, that was exhilarating. Mm-hmm. But when this and this when they do it, we've established the anonymous getaway driver as a genre icon. So for him to be quote wheel man. I'm already on edge. I'm already annoyed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the other guy says, my name is Ben O'Cree and you will fucking pay me. Or It's just, it's, it's nothing m- rings true. Miserable. All that dialogue is just, it's, it's just so effortful. And I, it made me think like what the best tough guys underplay it. And I think if you, if you overplay the tough guy thing, if you, you just start sounding like a, you know, a, a Sopranos extra where, where you're just, you're constantly threatening everybody. You have this – you're playing the, a part of somebody who's influenced by previous incarnations on film of tough guys. Mm-hmm. So he's like three tough guys deep and I can't – I don't believe it for a minute. And I, I think that might be a choice and I could, I would love to see that where it's at least on purpose where somebody is three levels deep yeah. imitating a tough guy who in turn was imitating a real guy who was tough. And so you get this weird – it's kind of like when Asian movies do their version of American gangster movies and they're amazing. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're imitating what they think an Italian mafioso movie is. And it's this weird alien version. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So when you, when you imitate he's something, of, you can still be amazing. There's a lot of toothpicks in yeah. Asian gangster films, but. Sorry, oh, definitely. Man. Yeah. Cause they think we, they think that's one of our food groups apparently. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, the, like imitation can be amazing. But I feel like this guy was imitating a tough guy or whoever told him to do it. And it just didn't work. I mean – And then his, da- a- his, his daughter calls and it's one of those things where, number one, I don't give a fuck about kids in movies. Like kids in movies for the most part just pump the brakes immediately to me because I'm should, like – They shouldn't be – with the exception of what? The Florida Project recently? Oh, that's a good piano. point. Yeah. Could, yeah. Children, children shouldn't be in – would you let a child – be an air traffic controller. They shouldn't be around adults doing a, a job. And the adults are making a movie. You shouldn't be anywhere around it because what are the chances you're going to be good at it? It's it's like 0.5%. Well, and right? it's also, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that gets brought into the plot later. They're like, oh, you've got a daughter, right? Wouldn't want anything to happen to her. Does that? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, dude, see? So it's, I, just, I, it's just so transparent. They're setting up all the blocks. And you know what? When it's really done well, I don't mind it, but it just, it really did feel like it has the process shot. It has the tough guy shit. It has the daughter. It has like the aggressive toughs in the back. And it just felt like it was like watching somebody arrange blocks that you know that they're going to knock down. And it's like, we could just get to the knocking down part. We can, we can skip all this shit, you know? Yeah. I think that there's something to be said for making a getaway driver 
more of a blank slate. You know, Baby Driver did it. The Driver did it. Drive with Ryan Gosling did it. They they almost have to be mutes. They, they have to be an efficient machine. They have to be an extension of the car. And when a getaway driver is running his mouth that much, I feel like he's miscast. Not just miscast in the movie, but miscast in the, in the heist. Like, what are you doing driving? You can't shut up. You should be the guy, the loose cannon who goes in, you know, because mm. the getaway driver should be this fucking machine. And that's where you, you exude that confidence. You are you, you have like a, a very visible efficiency at what you do. So you don't have to try so hard mm-hmm. to be to be tough or to be to be cool. It just felt it made me wonder, like, I, I want to ask you, what can you think of the best? tough guys like the mm. tough the best tough guys in movies that you can recall that didn't have all that conspicuous effort to prove they were tough or even best villains like scary guys who jumps to mind who jumps well, to mind the first the first because it's the most recent would probably be vince vaughn and brawl and cell block 99 i thought that was sure. a pretty good uh tough yeah. guy and because i mean they they show him uh you know destroying a car with his fists but it's also because he just got <laughs> cheated on so it kind of like it, it, it's a reason, you know, he didn't come home and, you know, somebody didn't clean up the floor or something and he, ah, oh, I'm going to rip this thing to shreds. Or even better, he wasn't on like a fucking job, you know, where like, uh-huh. he's on a job and somebody like just crosses him. So he has to crush his skull. No, I mean, like they gave him a very human moment to demonstrate just absurd amounts of strength. And you know that like he can he can fuck people up at that point. Um, yeah. And he shows and there's some vulnerability to him. Like you, I can't imagine the guy in the wheel, man, anybody hurting him that way to where he would show any vulnerability because he would say, I'm going to fucking kill you motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's not, he's too fragile to show weakness. If that makes any sense. Right. I'm having trouble coming up with other ones though. I'm thinking, and it's okay well, if I take I'm a second of, here, but go ahead. Well, what about like, I was thinking villains too, like some of the most famous tough guy villains, they, they're, they're pretty hammy, you know, but they don't, but they underplay it physically like uh, like Pesci, I mean Pesci jumps to mind in Goodfellas and Casino. Yeah, you have an actual dwarf who right. is is terrifying, and he's terrifying because he, he you know he's volatile and he and he's also um, you know he's got he's crawling with these Freudian clues. He doesn't he doesn't like exude confidence or or uh, or uh, a constant threat. There's just something twitchy and scary about him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's the it's the attempt to to do that work too soon. I don't even know what I'm saying. But I like that. I like Pesci as a he's scary without be without having that like I'm gonna kick your ass. Although he does do that. But there's something about him being understated physically. Or like what about what, the the Joker in the Dark Knight, you know? That's a good villain. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good villain and he's um he's pretty flashy. <laughs> Yeah, but he's but he's not telling us he's he's almost like trying to talk people out of out of being scared by him or something. He's just uh, he's just kind of a force of nature. Right. The guy, the bad guy in uh, Snatch. I know we're all over the place with these examples, but you remember the bad guy in Snatch with the Coke bottle glasses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That feeds people to pigs. He had kind Rick of top. Yeah, yeah, Bricktop. He had like this nerdcore thing going on. Mm-hmm. That guy was pretty commanding and. I think it's because they don't look the part. And when you have a guy like well, – I keep saying Grillo. Is that his name, Grillo? Yeah. When you have a guy like that, he looks like a guy who, yeah, you were probably really 
cool in high school. You look like what I think a tough guy looks like. But when I see that character in a movie, it has the absolute opposite effect. Mm -hmm. It's like if a guy, if like if a character pops his collar and, you know, it tries to look cool in the eighties, it's like, Oh, we know that guy's an asshole. He's going to get his ass beat. So this guy felt like the asshole who was going to get his ass beat and the movie never paid that off. You know what I mean? It made a contract. This guy's a douchebag, but I don't know. I no, I totally get what you mean, man. I I was thinking the exact same thing. And it is it's interesting that some people kind of read as uh peripheral characters. I mean, that's why you have famous that guys, you know? They never I, I, they, they don't get the big He roles. would have been a great Yeah, this guy would have been a great toady mm-hmm. on the heist, don't right. you think? Oh, totally. Yeah, he would have been Yeah, cuz he could have he could have talked his shit or whatever. But yeah, you need somebody who's gonna again, like even like Ryan Gosling and Drive, who doesn't really come off as like a super tough. Oh wait, hold on, perfect. The uh, the the cop from Only God Forgives is a good one too, where he's like that. Oh yeah, the, the small oh, guy God. with the samurai sword, and he's just he's utterly just frightening. You know what I mean? He's yeah, he's the devil, right? He's yeah. the, the the force he meets that he cannot even with his you know righteous vendetta can't do anything against that force. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's one of those things where I think that uh, even though Ryan Gosling does not read as a tough guy, I think that when he you know crushes that guy's skull and you know is going through his tough guy phase, for some reason you really buy it, and silence plays a big big role in that because as soon as you talk, it's like it's like your story about your voice cracking. You know, if nobody knows that you have a voice that's like way up here. Then and like you you don't have time to say the stupid thing that's going to completely diffuse uh, whatever toughness you may have had at first, you know? Because like with me, well, nobody's ever thought that I was a tough guy ever in my life. But let's say that I was, and I started talking, and this voice came out. It it wouldn't work. You know what I mean? They'd be like, oh, right. yeah, I'm not. I'm, th- th- I'm gonna talk about sounding like a douchebag. I mean, it's like, oh, this this this. I have like bully face and bully voice. Unfortunately, like I'm the guy, if I ever became an actor, I would have been or would be the guy who's super obnoxious and talking shit and gets his head bounced off the bar by the main character. So, yeah, there are just some people who are just born that way, you know, and that guy does. He does seem like he's got that that voice, too. Mm -hmm. That's you just described like um, Fred Durst's career. Like what a weird a weirdly fragile voice <laughs> and mm-hmm. and if and if they would play if they would play that up that kind of like cypress hill did with be real's voice or sure. um or the beastie boys with uh, king ad rock's voice you gotta like embrace it instead durst is you know he's with that fragile voice he's saying things that should be said by hellraiser right yeah. so it's <laughs> so it, <laughs> i'm gonna fuck you up Fuck you up. It's like, no, you're not. Stop it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's kind of what, I don't know. I I feel like there's a a way to do that where if you would just acknowledge it, then I would be really interested in the fake tough guy as a wheel man. It's like, um, who's that? Uh, the fucking Donnie Brasco. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see Donnie Brasco? I did. Yeah. So Donnie Brasco is a fascinating example of that kind of postmodern behavior. You have, you have a book written by an undercover um, agent who bases his undercover performance in real life after, um, you know, years and years of Italian gangster movies. Right. Mm-hmm. So 
So clearly this guy goes undercover and he's like, I'm going to act like what I think a gangster would act like. So he's 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 sopranoing it up. Right. Right. So then he puts out a book where he writes about his experiences. Uh, the book is then made into a movie played by Johnny Depp, who's now playing the imp- he's playing a guy who was playing a guy pretending to be the kind of role that Johnny Depp actually plays, like in mm-hmm. Black Black Mass and in Blow, kind of these low rent gangster types. Mm-hmm. So that that could be interesting if if you acknowledged it, if you acknowledged what the effort you'd have to do to play a guy who was pretending to be a you're playing a guy in a movie who's pretending to play a guy in a movie. Mm-hmm. But of course they don't do that. But the movie Donnie Brasco glorifies this shitbag wife beating terrible terrible fbi agent who um but he's he's fucking crowing like he is this amazing superhero type and in in interviews afterwards he talks about uh, johnny depp really nailed his depiction of him of course like, he yeah would. depp really Depp, Depp really nailed it. And it's like, if you watch that movie, Depp nailed him by acting like a generic phoned in Italian caricature. Right. And the fact that that guy can't recognize it is again, very interesting, but nobody is really talking about it as if it's being interesting. Instead, they just think, Oh, this is what a tough guy acts like. And it's that kind of reminded me of wheel man. If that makes any sense, the layers of that postmodern behavior unscrutinized. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, well, just just to be fair, because I do kind of feel bad about only watching the beginning. Um, does it does it get better? Um, I mean, I'm going to be into it because I'm into car chase shit. So I was fascinated by the puzzle that they'd created for themselves, which is are, how attached are we going to be to this car? And are, are they going to stay in that backseat? And when they don't, I, I'm still I was interested in everything I was looking at. So I can't say it, it's a. It's a terrible movie. It was just a, a they, they put the wrong guy at the lead, maybe, or they, the guy helming it is is in the wrong place, like you said. If if we imagine the actual heist, you don't want him driving, right? But as far as the movie goes, it's not it's not incompetent. You know, it it just doesn't it, it doesn't fulfill the promise it makes. I wish that the camera would have stayed in the back the entire time. I wish that he never would have got out of the car once he gets in and adjusts his seat. I was I was genuinely excited. I know it made you mad, mm-hmm. but I was ex- excited like this guy is adjusting his seat because he's never going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into because I thought they were setting it up like by saying you got me a red trunk. I don't want a red trunk. And I thought you could probably see that red trunk in the rear view mirror and you'd never have to move that camera like are they really mm. and i i believe that they may have thought about that that they may have thought we can do this and then somewhere along the line they said nah it's easier just to be a movie right, and that's not right. as that's not as interesting to me yeah so you kind of wanted a lock with a static camera and violence i wanted lock with even more lockdown camera if that's possible <laughs> yeah yeah now I, I think that a theme is emerging. A theme is emerging here in the Almost Good podcast, which I think sets us apart from most other movie podcasts. Where I think you'll hear people talk about the acting and the um, like, the cinematography and this, that, and the other. But but Dave and I are are both pretty much autistic, and so you'll <laughs> you'll get a, a perspective here that I think you won't get elsewhere. So you're saying that. Nobody else watching Wheelman would stand up and say, "Why did he get out of the car?" No, probably not. But I, but see, this is why we get along because I one hundred percent understand what you mean. That's I just that's what I wanted. I love Locke though, so I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I guess you want to move on to uh, where should we go? 
Let's do. Uh, oh, we can do them in order of of how much I like them. So we started with Wheelman, and then uh, Small Crimes can come next. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Small Crimes. Now you watched it more recently than I did. I watched it a couple weeks ago. Oh um, no, I watched it when it first came out. Oh, you did. So I watched it after you. Yeah. Okay. I was um, pretty stoked on it because it was a guy like you know the the online Facebook crime community was pretty excited because the guy who wrote it I think is. He's in, he's, it was kind of a Vandermeer situation with Annihilation where, you know, he's kind of on the periphery of my social circle, I guess. Yeah. So he, um, and he wrote that, uh, that Frankenstein book, right? Monster. Yeah. He's a, he's got an interesting career. I, I mean, I, I was rude for that movie too, because it's got that, um, kind of metallic look to it. Mm. There's oh, I a, love the look of a, it. Yeah. yeah, there's a, there's a Netflix metallic sort of gloss that i that i'm kind of into ozark has it Mm. um i like that i like that look it's not quite black and white um but it's not that uh toxic uh matrix washed out version either it's it's a it's a pleasing look so i like the look of it um i just had i struggled with getting engaged with it because um because the dude from game of thrones didn't sound like an american to me he sounded like it's so funny that you said that because this was going to be my impression of of small crimes. <laughs> it's like, well, it looks like old well, – I forget his name. looks like old Joe came back to town. And then another guy comes up and is like, hey, Joe, I think we need to do one last job. And then Joe's like, what are you talking about, one last job? I'm just a, <laughs> I'm just a southern man here trying to figure out my – like it was just so – God loved that man. Like he's handsome as hell and I think he's a really good actor but that – He's great. How did that? I mean, I guess when you have the guy from uh, Game of Thrones, it's hard to turn that down. But somebody along the way had to know, like, oh shit, he doesn't sound, he doesn't sound right at all. Yeah, and it, that's you know, I'm a simple creature. So if I, I, just like when we were talking about Black Panther and how I couldn't attach to that Black Panther character because he kept putting that fucking fake virtual reality helmet on it would just go zip and cover his face and then i'm like i'm what am i looking at i don't know what i can't that's not a person mm-hmm. the same a, a similar thing happens when somebody's accent is off i, I it takes me out of the movie enough that i i kind of can't i don't engage in a way that i would normally engage uh, now that that movie has such a great last scene yeah. that it's where you rethink everything and you and you finish thinking that was great so this I probably would have said something different if you would have caught me right after I watched it because I was so spoiler alert. The, should we even spoil it? The, la- um, the last scene. Do you think it's a good dad. idea? Oh, my God. Oh, Maybe no. I'll, I won't. I mean, it's it's a it's an absolutely fantastic scene. And, and Robert Forster is awesome as the dad. And it just it all when you it, have a good ending. A great ending will make you rethink the whole movie. Yeah, it's, it'll a, make it's, you, a, it's a great ending. And it's a, you know what, man? I, I would say, and I think that the whole movie is actually almost good as a whole. And it's just brought, it could have been like, like fucking amazing. But yeah, like you, and it sounds stupid, I know, but I like, I couldn't get past the <laughs> fact that he seemed just like, just so out of place, you know? Because he's also, he is also, he's, like, al- he's much also, better he's a little looking. too, I was just going to say, he's a little too good looking. To have that kind of trouble coming home, right? He, I guess, a good-looking guy could. They they tried to you know ugly him up a little bit and give have him getting his ass kicked constantly to put some lesions on his face. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it kind of reminds me of like um, in the Departed, where uh, uh, DiCaprio 
is talking to his uh, his counselor after uh, getting kicked off the force or fake kicked off the force. And he's like, hey, you want to go get a cup of coffee sometime? And she's like, okay, let's do it. And like I said to Amy at the time, I'm like, okay, if that's not Leonardo DiCaprio, what you just had was an addict asking his doctor to go have a cup of coffee. And he's also got like lesions on his face. He's got <laughs> cuts on his face. No one does that unless yeah. you're Leonardo DiCaprio. So here right. we have the reverse where they tried to put all sorts of injuries on him. But you still have this beautiful guy from mm-hmm. Game of Thrones Who's and he's also kind of uh, kind of indestructible. He's yeah. kicking ass at will. It's hard. I want to. He needs to be like a sad sack. Just the world is just fucking abusing him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I felt like he could deal with it for some reason. Maybe it's the Game of Thrones thing that you think this guy can deal with anything. Yeah, but, but I, I feel like it should have been more on edge. Like he can't deal with this. How if much it was more like can one he of take? those uh, one of those guys from um, what's that guy's name? He's got a really stupid. Oh, by the way, as a side note, when you said Leonardo DiCaprio, I was thinking, oh, man, if I was like a guy who masturbated on cam, I would call myself Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, <laughs> but that's that's my own little autism there. But um, <laughs> but no, like uh, what, who's that guy? His name is like Toot. Like what's his name? He's got this goofy ass Scoot. Scoot, Mc, Scoot McNary, the guy from Killing Me Softly or Killing Them Softly. The little, oh, yeah, yeah. the little ratty guy in that one, like that, he would have been a good one, you know, because you would really feel like yeah. this guy's not going to be able to fucking to deal with this shit. Yeah, a guy when a guy is circling the drain in those movies, you want you want a guy who looks like he's circling the drain. It looked like Game of Thrones was going to be okay, and maybe that's why the ending was hit me so hard because I thought, how does he a different guy that ending is just inevitable. Mm-hmm. So. The shock of that ending that yeah. might have something to do with that casting too. Right. So maybe we're off from that. There's I mean, something maybe, about, but, I mean, maybe, but yeah. gosh, it's so hard not to spoil <laughs> it. But you know, he just he keeps getting chance after chance, and he's a piece of shit basically. Um, and to be fair, to be fair, that's the good looking guys get chance after chance after chance. You know. <laughs> well, here's a question for you. The I was trying to think about what makes a good accent because you, you don't want to like not have these Brits take a shot at it. We need all the all the actors we can get. So I was trying to think of good good uh, Brit doing American accents. And uh, Wanted was on TV the other day. I, I can't think of that guy's name. The guy from the X Men movies oh, plays uh, uh, Saber. Yeah, you know the, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that guy. He, he was the one in Split, also. Yeah, yeah, he's good. He did a totally believable American accent and wanted. And I and even though it sounds like a normal person to us, I was listening to some uh, interview with somebody. I think it was on one of those inside the actors studios. And they asked, how do you do an American accent? And apparently, oh, can you hear me? No, yeah, I'm here. And apparently a British person, when they want to do an American accent, what they do is they just try to sound like a dumbass. <laughs> so so for to us. It's when we try to sound like a Southern rube, like you just did earlier. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. Oh, wow. So, so, so to them, at all times, we sound like we're on the Dukes of Hazard. That's hilarious. But with, but there's a subtlety to it that we don't notice. You know, we're, we're just like, oh, you sound like a fine, upstanding American citizen. And to them, they're like, oh, sweet, my dumbass impression worked well. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, I get dinged so much because. I used to think that I was really, really good at impressions. This probably comes from just a male problem in general of thinking that we're good at things, uh, especially being funny and, you know, because accents are kind of a funny thing. 
And I realized <laughs> like five years ago that I really, and it's so embarrassing because you have this confidence. You're like, I'm going to do a Russian impression. And then you do it. And somebody well, what the fuck was that? Is that Mexican? Like, I don't, I don't get what you're trying to do. You're like, <laughs> no, I'm Russian. And they're like, what the fuck is that? So this is something that's very close to me that I realized that I couldn't do that. I thought that I could for a very long time. So that being said, um, yeah, to do Southern, you just kind of, you just kind of twang it up, which really isn't how they sound. They don't really sound like they ask, no, not very many people anyway. Like they more, I don't know. Can you do accents? No, mine all sound like leprechauns. I, mine end up Irish for some reason, no matter what I do. <laughs> I try to do Australian. They sound, or although I can do the the no in an Australian accent, I could master it for the longest time. Mm-hmm. But then a couple Australian friends stayed with me for a while. And you just, you try to say noy, like N-O-Y, but you pull up, you, you pull out early, I guess you could say. No, so you pull no. out early on the Y. So you so ask me a yes or no question. Uh, hey, Dave, are you a straight American male? <laughs> I, was, I was hoping it would be one where there would be a dilemma. And I would say, no, I, no. <laughs> I don't think that's it, man. Is that working? It's not working? No, I don't think that's so, it, dude. It's still not, it's, <laughs> it's still not working. Maybe that, that's, how, that's how straight I am, dude. It ruined my perfect <laughs> accent. <laughs> oh yeah but uh no no i can't i can't do it anymore fuck, dude you choked That's how you, you fucking neutered me that was my one <laughs> the one skill i had left in this world i can't do anything else i can't uh, i'm not a getaway driver and i can't say no yeah yeah but you can't argue with people about not touching your sandwiches so you have that still <laughs> um but yeah, I, I guess we could kind of also just move on from. I mean, the Small Crimes, really good movie, but like the accent reminded me of uh, Christopher Lambert. So, what are you gonna do? Uh, so here, finally, um, we're gonna move on to a movie that I think I, I think I'm happy. I think I'm comfortable saying that I loved it. Uh, it's called The Ritual. Which the ritual, uh, yes. yeah. I thought that I thought that it was a, it was a very not even almost good. I thought that that was a very good movie. Ritual's pretty good. I've got uh, I've got some questions about the ritual I wanted to ask you. Okay. I prepared a couple of questions. And this was one of the gripes with uh, with annihilation, as far as the the person who flips out too soon in a in a lost in the woods situation. Um, you had a big case of that in the ritual, right? You've you've got a guy who's loses his shit. But I checked my watch, and I think they had been on the trail for thirty seven seconds, and this guy is already he's already ready to jump off the ledge. You know, he's like, well, we're fucking lost. Where are we going? And that, that kind of shit drives me crazy. Go ahead. No, it was the guy who, uh, like did, Oh, I twisted my ankle. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah, that guy. Better, better that take, guy. A, and I, take and a break. Well, we talked a bit about this, about being lost in the woods is a different kind of situation. Here's what, here's what I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. It, a lost in the woods movie is, is kind of its own genre. What do we – is being lost in the woods scary? Is there something inherent about a Lost in the Woods movie that has extra work to do? Because I started to think about it while rewatching The Ritual, uh, which has such a great monster that I, I would look at that monster every day of my life. And I, while we rewatching, I started to think to myself, 
is the problem because everything looks the same that it's not easy to establish being lost so is being when the, a movie portrays someone being lost in the woods they're lost in the they're you're just surrounded by the same imagery at all times so is it meaningless is being lost in, in a lost in the woods movie kind of a meaningless um shortcut to some other scare I'm, i i, I ask that i think that i think that's a fine point i think what the ritual does really well though is that it cuts back and forth between night and day really fast um, I think that it really does show that there has been a lot of time passed since they just, cause I think they end up, but I mean, before they hit the cabin, there's a full night's night there, um, where they start having weird dreams. Then they hit the cabin and everybody goes batshit and the guy gets naked and starts praying to the, uh, straw thing. Um, and then yeah. after that, after that, I think all the insanity is pretty much justified and people like starting to lose their minds and, you know, and, but then after that, I mean, even before, uh, anybody dies after that i believe there's three or four nights and you keep seeing these big tracking shots they're still in the fucking woods you know there's just so much woods left and uh as someone who has gotten lost i I was feeling it yeah i think what's what was important there what i think happened in the ritual which which makes it actually scary to be lost in the woods is so if the woods have has scenery that is similar everywhere you look and it never seems to change. And if somebody says they're lost, they have to kind of exaggerate and be like, what the fuck are we going to do? And that kind of drives me nuts. But then there's a moment in the best of these movies where you pass by something that you've already seen before. Oh yeah, yeah. That's how you establish being lost. Cause if you were lost in a house, you know, where's the door? We understand that we don't, we don't need that kind of mapped out for us. But in these movies, like in Blair Witch, you pass by a mark you left on the tree. You pass by a, a you know a campsite you've seen before, and I think the idea of it's kind of like Groundhog Day in Hell, of having to do it all again when you thought you made progress. That is scary. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. that does make that sort of tedium of being lost is scarier than the idea of a monster. It's the idea of that I will never make any progress, and that I think is scary. Yeah, and I thought that they were doing that when they see a cabin again, but it turns out to be a different cabin. And I, I did like the response where they said, do you want to go in? And they were like, no, fuck that shit, um, <laughs> yeah. which was kind of nice. But yeah, here, let me – have you been lost in the woods before? Um, as a kid, we had woods by us that weren't that big, so it had a it had a, a river as a border. So we it was impossible to get lost in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I spent a lot of time in the woods. Um, I guess the answer is the answer is noy. <laughs> noy. <laughs> well, I got lost when I was, uh, I think, a, either a junior or a senior in high school. My friends and like three friends of uh, of mine and I decided uh, at about four or five p.m. to go um, hike up this mountain that was nearby where we lived. And it's in Oklahoma, so it's actually not even technically a mountain, but it is the tallest point in Oklahoma. It's called Mount Scott, and um, we got there the sun was going down we had like a fucking oranges and some cheetos and we got to the very top and the sun was going down we're like oh this is so beautiful and then the sun went down and we didn't realize how fucking like dark it was actually going to be and this is uh for all you youngsters listening this is way before you know cell phones with flashlights or whatever Mm -hmm. so mount scott has this interesting thing where uh there's 
it's a bunch of at the top there's a bunch of boulders and some of those boulders just end in very sheer cliffs so we're like scrambling over these boulders and like trying our best to like lower the lightest one which was me like down until my like my feet would touch something um and so basically at one point they accidentally dropped me and my feet went out in front of me and i landed right on a cactus like right up my ass and so yeah dude and so we're walking through like this trail trying to find our way back to the truck there's coyotes at our periphery that are literally just like kind of running in circles around us like and uh my friend lance just started to cry while he was walking he was like (laughs) (laughs) so that's why i mean so he's really so he's the guy he's the guy yeah we're gonna die i totally buy it because we were lost for probably two hours and then we ended up like getting to a road and a cop found us and was like oh hey we found your truck we were about to you know, send uh, search and rescue after after you guys, which would have cost <laughs> our parents a lot of money. And uh, the cop actually made us walk back to our car, and he was like driving behind us with his lights on. And um, kind of a dick move, a w- if you ask me. Weird, weird march of shame. What a fuck. Yeah, but um, so anyway, so that's why in movies like this, when somebody loses it, it makes total sense to me because I saw. I I think that. Um... I was talking to somebody else about the ritual, and they said that for them it wasn't the uh, the being lost kind of thing, but the idea of waking up and not sure what you did or what you did to yourself, that they found that really, really terrifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, I just think so, that, yeah. oh, that was really well done, and I liked – I like the very minimalist backstory because you don't know anything else about the protagonist other than this one thing that he really fucked up, you know? And I like that. I, you don't need to know – in these kind of movies, you don't need a whole bunch. Annihilation did it well with the the team introductions where you just kind of learn a uh-huh. little snippet about everybody. And I think this one had it too. They also had really um, – I like that a lot of the characters are often kind of talking just out of range of being able to be heard. But it sounds like uh, yeah, yeah, improvised yeah. kind of dialogue or whatever. I think that there's a there's a balance of how much you want to learn about people when they're put into a situation that's stressful. And the Lost in the Woods genre – they're, they're all ends of the spectrum as far as, you know, people's real – their real personality and their real history will be exposed by the, being lost in the woods. Mm-hmm. And I think the ritual kind of teeters on the verge of that end of it, like with the gray. Um, the ones – I like those movies. I think the gray is great. But it, it uh, kind of – The gray actually had Frank Grillo in it as well. <laughs> there you go. So you get to know those guys. You get to know them all pretty well. And was Grillo the one who who's laid down? Yeah, yeah. See, and he like, was great in that. That was great. He had a great death in that. If that yeah. was him. Yeah. No, that was. They him. used he him was... perfectly. Yeah, That's exactly. Perfect. That's, That's our point. Oh my god, we stumbled onto the fucking answer. That's how you use your Grillo. Yeah, yeah. You have him. He was. He's a great but, character. He's he's the mouthy guy. He's kind of annoying, but then like you get to know him, and he had some and, redemption. Yeah, yeah he you has get a to redemption. Know him. And you, he's like he's like I'm not going any further. You can just leave me here. And that, yeah, it's a, it's a great death. It's a great death. And uh, all the really effective Lost in the Woods movies, like I would, I would call Evil Dead Lost in the Woods movies, the Blair Witches when they're done good, the good, the, the first one. And I think the remake had maybe a third of it was good. Willow Creek, a Lost in the Woods situation. Mm-hmm. And with those, they're, they're on the other end of it where you don't get to know their lives or what they've done wrong in their lives. You just get to know what kind of person they are in that situation. And that's a, a different sort of getting to know them. And I like that, too. I like both ends of it, I think. Right. Um, which renders my point meaningless. <laughs> I, <laughs> but then, I like uh, it all. <laughs> but, yeah, and then we get to the to the ending. And, yeah, that monster is just 
it's it's oh, what, it's what monster. monsters should be you know it's this weird it doesn't it doesn't at. have to make sense it doesn't have to be like here are the eyes here are the sharp teeth here are the claws it doesn't it doesn't make it like there's a lot of vestigial shit going on there where you're like why does that even apart but you're but who knows right. it looks fucking creepy well i'm convinced it's it's a uh, pelican spider have you seen a pelican spider before? yeah yeah i have they're they're in the new the new hot insect that all the kids are talking about <laughs> And it's uh, it looks like it looks like this. It looks kind of like a tiny little horse body with a weird elongated neck and then two sort of fang things coming out of it. And the idea of the pelican spider is that it only eats other spiders. So evolution has made it so the neck got longer and longer and longer because the idea was when you bite something, you don't want it to bite you back. Mm. So if the neck and those long fangs just gets extended so far out, it can very safely just go pluck and pick you up and hold you your little spider body off the ground where you kick and scream and then you slowly die and that's kind of what this monster does is it kind of plucks you up and, it, and you just kind of hang there mm-hmm. and you can't there's nothing to fight because you're just fighting you know two man hands coming out of a weird looking at some little face. fucking jawa eyes or something you know <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's got great. the yeah oh it's so great and it felt very <laughs> nor it felt nordic you know yeah and I, my biggest gripe with that movie is the fact that you have something that amazing looking, and then sometimes it disguises itself as a convenience store. Yeah, like I, I don't want to see the convenience <laughs> store camouflage. Right. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty oversimplifying the fucking dilemma there. Anyway, and plus you're in the woods, and all of a sudden they're turning on the fluorescent lights, and you're running through convenience. Fuck off. With okay, that. so, so the- here's 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 one thing that I had a major problem with with the monster, and I mentioned this, this I think briefly to you, but I have a real problem in movies when a monster is established as being really badass and like just a stone cold killer, and then my man just like hit it with an axe. And that's good. And he's like, all of a sudden, he's out running it. It's it's a stab. It moves about as fast as a horse. It looks like, and it looks like it's strong as fuck. It's able to knock down shit and you know come after people quick and grab them and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, and then all of a sudden, at the end, when he needs to get out of it, I think you kind of write yourself into a corner because from the audience's perspective, once it's got him, you're like, oh, he's fucked. Unless he can think of right. something very very clever to do. Uh, Unless he can dis- he can disguise himself as like uh, <laughs> a, a veterans hall or right, uh, or, right. or a, gymna- a gymnasium, and then the monsters <laughs> a convenience store, and they're like, "What's happening? We're we're giant spaces." I don't know. Yeah, no, no, totally. But like, but yeah, but it just becomes. A, I mean, I feel like this has been a problem with a lot of the like the Alien movies, for example. I think Aliens two and Alien one. I think they have a pretty good establishment of like how strong the monster is and how fast it can move. And, but then Uh you get to like alien resurrection and, you know, sometimes it's really fast, but sometimes you can get a shot off at it. And it just feels like when you have something that seems to be that badass and that powerful, um, Mm -hmm. you can't just have the dude just chop it with an ax and then run. And it can't what it can't catch him. It can't, it's got, really long horse legs and then he right i got that when he run, ran out into the oh, spoiler alert i got that when he ran out there um i get that it, like it can't go beyond the the woods like that makes sense right. to me but it, i don't know the, in, in, in an effort to build tension it strains and i know this is going to sound ridiculous talking about this movie in particular but it just strains <laughs> believability but like within the rules that have been established in the movie yeah. this is what i mean and that's that's why the the disguising itself as a store is weird to me because you 
I guess you would lose that one really great moment when I like the idea that people see something else. And when the one guy was seeing his wife or whatever, Mm -hmm. and so she, she was embracing him and then it cuts to what it actually looks like. And it's your first up close look of it. That's a, that almost makes you, your skin crawl. You're like, Whoa, Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting that. So you'd lose that if it didn't have that ability. But I don't know if I wanted it to have a supernatural ability. I like the idea of something physical that has existed in the woods for this long and people have made a cult around it and they've they've you know built this religion and 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 uh, mentally it fucks with you you know the idea of it can fuck with you but to have it have supernatural abilities it's kind of some harry potter shit i don't know if i wanted it so you you basically you didn't want it to cuz my impression was that it actually was a god or some like weird offspring of a nordic god well, and I, you wanted it to be just like a fucked up thing that kind of but worship. i wanted to be I want it to be both. If as long as people worship it, it is for all intents and purposes a god. True. You know, yeah. it's it's fulfilling the exact same thing and it's also a giant strong creature that's scary in its own right. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't think you need the added the the bonus of it being able to cloud your mind like the shadow, you know. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think you need it. I yeah. but anyway, you know, I, I hear the book is a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But I haven't read the book, so. Yeah, I haven't either. Well, that's it. We got it. That's that's what? a wrap. Yeah, yep. we did three movies. What the yep. fuck? We're yeah, so dude. you know why we're so efficient? Because somebody was saying online the other day that they hate people that say exactly all the time. Mm-hmm. And I listened to our one of our old podcasts, and I said exactly like ten times, and I'm really ashamed of it. I think that yeah. either it's because you say such reasonable things, mm-hmm. or um, I'm one of those horrible people. So I didn't say exactly until now in this podcast, oh, nice. and we and we lost a half hour. Yeah, dude. No, it's. It, it, I think it's also we're getting really fast because I think we're sort of starting to work out. And and this this isn't just between you and me. This is for the podcast too. But I think we're starting to find out what this thing is exactly. You know, this is episode five. You know, we've. I think I feel like we've done good episodes up till now. But I feel like we each have our own bugbears about movies that are mm-hmm. kind of unique in their own way. And I really do think that we can just go into each movie and we can apply our own uh, neuroses to it. And I think we're just getting better at that, you know? Yeah. We're just able to find out exactly what it is, you know? That's a good point. And sometimes we can actually fix them. Yeah. Oh, well, well, hey, I mean, it wouldn't be a, wouldn't be an almost good episode without a script doctor set. The script doctor's in. And this is where if I had a rubber glove, it would go, (laughs) got the glove on. Now in... To to uh, keep with our vibe here of being fast and efficient, this is going to be the fastest script doctor ever. All right, go for it. It's going to be very simple. You ready for it? Mm-hmm. I'm going to script doctor Wheelman. Okay. How, how do you fix Wheelman? I think we already said it, and I think the chef in uh, Apocalypse Now said it best when he said, "Never get out of the boat." Absolutely, goddamn right. Unless you were going all the way.